Peace, blessings, love, light, welcome to Leo season, the crescendo of summer, or as some like to find it as the post-crescendo, ident identifying the summer solstice, June 21st, as that peak. The sun has entered the horoscope of Cancer, even though we're in Leo season, uh, which is roughly from July 21st to August 21st. Astronomically, we go through Cancer from roughly around July 19th. Uh, to about August 9th. Uh, so I know it's been a minute and I would like to do a post-retroactive recording of Cancer Season and the Summer Solstice episodes. Uh, I do have a strong connection to the summer and to Cancer specifically, given that, that was, that's when my birth date is. I'm right in the middle of the Cancer Season and I certainly feel a strong identification with July, with uh, sensitivity, with some of those things that are associated with uh, cancer. And uh, I kind of still feel that buzz that you feel right around the time when your birthday happens. Uh, you kind of feel it a few days or maybe a week or a few weeks before. You kind of feel it still a few weeks after. So I'm still kind of feeling that buzz, which is kind of nice. It's been a really beautiful summer. I'm here in upstate New York, Ithaca, in the house. Uh, one of the most magical places on the planet, if you haven't been here. So in this episode, I interview Cosmic Theo, the live looping wizard, and I'll introduce him in a second, but first let me go a little bit into Leo season. So in the Ayurvedic uh, concept of seasons, we've entered the period of Dakshinayana, which is when the days get shorter, our orbit creates the sense that the sun is descending in a southern direction. And in this period, the moon is set to be more powerful than the sun. And as a result, the earth becomes cooler due to clouds, rain, winds, etc. Uh, so the specific season we've entered from the Ayurvedic perspective is called Varsha. In Ayurveda, that's a rainy season. For us here in the Northeast, it's mixed by warmth, mixed with a little bit of cool. There's a sense of comfort in the climate. There's a sense of people coming together. We've already kind of been in the summer for a little bit, although it's been really rainy this past uh, July, which is a bit uh, unseasonable for us here in the Northeast. Uh, and also with Ithaca specifically in upstate New York, this is that short window of time when productivity tends to be the greatest because people are kind of trying to get in all the things that they can't do for the majority of the year here, which is uh, relatively cold and sometimes uh, brutally cold and magical at that. And so winters make it a little difficult to accomplish uh, some of those things. There are certain herbs and plants that are in full bloom in this time of year, and if you're walking around uh, in the Northeast, you might notice them growing as weeds, or you might just notice them in people's gardens. Uh, echinacea, which is brilliant and beautiful, chamomile, mugwort, all of it, all of them are beautiful. Uh, and then there's also things that you might notice are no longer uh, flourishing. So for instance, just a month ago, you might have noticed uh, that there was pollen that was dusting the ground from uh, pine, pine pollen. Uh, you might have noticed uh, the scent of linden flowers in early July, um, mid to late June, and that scent is no longer present. So it's uh, both a combination of noticing what's happening around you and then noticing what's kind of missing. I feel like that's true with life in general, is that we go through different spaces and different periods, different times, and 
there are people we're encountering that uh, add new information to the way we engage with the world, the way we see the world, and then there are people who aren't there, who, whose absence uh, might be felt as well in the perspectives and the love and light that they offered us. Some things to consider. Uh, now, in terms of this interview, I'm going to let this interview run just exactly as it was. So I showed up at Cosmic Theo's uh, spot, uh, which is about half an hour outside of Ithaca, and it's a, in a gorgeous property. He had a gathering there during actually my birthday weekend, the July 3rd, 4th weekend, and it was beautiful, and it was community, and it was music, and it was all those things. We did a sweat. Uh, him and I had a chance to do a sweat together. We were actually uh, responsible for bringing in the stones into the sweat lodge. And as such, we were also the last ones to enter, so we sat very close in close proximity to one another. I've had a chance uh, building with Cosmic Theo over the past uh, year and known him on and off uh, in a peripheral way for the past few years. And he's someone who has had this great magic about him in how he brings people together, in his dedication to our planet Earth, uh, in his ability to orchestrate not just uh, music, uh, that he, he's a musician, he's an amazing musician, but also just uh, people to come together in a way that is symbiotic, is synergistic, uh, really tapping into uh, people's pluralities, and he does this uh, on live sets doing uh, loops uh, with his uh, DJ outfit, but he's also a multi-instrumentalist, plays uh, various instruments, and draws people into the mix. And so when you're experiencing him on stage, he creates that experience for you, and he does that in a way where uh, he very much delegates and it becomes more of a communal uh, process rather than this uh, spectator spectacle process. So I think that's one of the things that drew me about him and drew me to wanting to interview him and continue to build with him. He does uh, presence that and where that comes from in this interview. Uh, we go through journeys with him in this interview where he goes through uh, periods of his life that were awakening, that were challenging, that uh, allowed him to grow deeper in his journey and self and also in his movement throughout uh, throughout the states. He's moved a lot pretty considerably, uh, relatively speaking, uh, covered a lot of the states in, uh, from adolescence, from childhood rather on, and in some ways he continues to do so uh, by way of concerts, but he's been a bit grounded here, and so we kind of talk about that as well. So this is a great interview. I'm going to let it run exactly as we recorded it for a live audience. We did a Facebook Live through his Facebook Live stream, and so instead of doing any edits or uh, re uh, us, you know, just cutting out the beginning or anything like that. I'm just going to let it run. And I hope you enjoy the show. Let me know what you think. And I'll see you on the other side. Blessings. So we're about to just kick it. Really just kick it. Connect with one another and how we connect with outer space. And we're being part of that outer space because we're on a spaceship, as you talk about in one of your songs, which I love. Uh, I love that song, and part of the reason I love that song, I just want to like go straight into it, is because there's this artist I love, Talib Kweli, 
uh, he's a lyrical genius. He was, uh, he's one of the great, greatest lyricists in my, in my estimation. He worked uh, with Mo Staff. They were in a band, the Black, Black Star, back in the day. And so, and when in his solo album, he says, "Right, you're, you relate with rap lyrics because they're writing what you felt." And when I listen to the song about our Earth being a spaceship, I'm like, "Wow, that's it. That's it. That's it." Felt like. I wanted that song written, and you wrote it, and you sang it. <laughs> Tell me about that song. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, about a quality um, within a song, or, you know, any kind of expressive type thing. It could be a dance. Mm. It could be a sculpture. It could be a piece of art. Mm. But when you um, can get past your own kind of limited view, and you can tap into a more, like, unified plane, mm. that the songwriting in those spaces is usually very different. I noticed that like the different kind of meanings and the ideas, they come out in like this, it can mean a lot of different things. There's like universal kind of themes at play. And when I am having an experience with a songwriting, like through songwriting, when it has that kind of quality to it, I get, I get chills, man. It's like, mm. it's crazy. Mm. Um, yeah, I love how in the song, in that particular song, what comes through you is our earth as a spaceship and also just presencing alternative ways of living that don't necessarily have to be alternative, right? So for instance, you're talking about seeding, planting seeds, and growing uh, weed <laughs> in the woods, right? And uh, just kind of making it not just uh, a theory, but something that's very possible. And not only is it possible, Cosmic Theo, you're doing it, you're living it. Yeah. So how did that happen? Like. Did the lyrics come first and then the manifestation of those lyrics? Because right now we're on this amazing property that you're in and it's acres and acres of woods and like there's all kinds of mushrooms and other things that you foraged. We had the opportunity to go on a hike last year. Yes. We foraged during that hike and so sometimes I wonder as a creative writer myself, like did the word come first and the manifestation? Or, you know, is it, like, was it something else? Like, how did this happen? Both. Okay. Both, for sure. Um, this particular property here, you know, some things I feel like they're brewing in the cosmos for a while. Mm. And then, like, even before you realize what you're attracting, you're attracting something. Almost like if, if you're, like, looking through the fog, you might see a shape that's kind of ambiguous. And as the fog lifts, it starts to take on details that are more clear. But this, this is a culmination of really like me getting clear on, for me, like what matters, what's important, what is a positive and healthy and productive environment for me to live in. Mm. So like I definitely designed this world that I, I live in. And, and you know, just like you want to set yourself up for success um, in so many other ways, your environment should also be conducive to your success. Mm, I love that. You know, I, the frivolous... Uh, and not to be facetious, but the frivolous analogy I think of is like Pee-wee's Playhouse, right? Like he kind of manifested his like childhood dream, right? And so it kind of feels like Cosmic Theo's Playhouse. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it is. It's like um, I make the joke, I don't have toys, I have tools. Mm. Mm. But yeah, there are many playful opportunities here. Things that are able to be interacted and interfaced with and shared. Shared experiences waiting to happen. Um, you know, I love hosting, uh, being a Taurus 
the experience of me is also the experience of my environment. Mm. So you're receiving me as your friend in the space and also the space itself is an extension of me also. Yeah, I love that. I love how you're talking about like these different points of intersectionality, these nodes. And I think uh, it reminds me of a lot of uh, the ancient wisdom practice of traditional medicine that I practice where as without, so within. So everything that exists in the cosmos ex exists in our body. Everything that exists in our body exists in the cosmos. Uh, and as a side note, we have to at some point talk about cosmic theodicine. <laughs> uh, hence, uh, given that we are in the cosmic medicine journey, there's like some strong parallels. But yeah, so you do very much presence cosmos uh, in your music, in your space. So where, when did that happen? Like this whole like engagement with extraplanetary existence for you? Yeah, the, um, the first introductions to cosmic consciousness if you will, um, I guess happened probably in my mm, early 20s through psychedelic um, explorations hmm. where I was having mostly uh, medicinal mushrooms, was having experiences where I was just like getting visions of like, of like how big it all is and how it doesn't really dwarf our existence to be in something that grand, but that it's all kind of one fabric and that as there are worlds below and um, beneath our um, perception, like say microbes, you can't see microbes, mm -hmm. but now we know through science and through shared belief that they are exist in our part of our reality and that our body is full of life that is not actually ours. Well, also there is realms above our perception that are beyond. And just a little glimpse of that, you know, um, you start to cultivate an awareness of it and you can't necessarily see it, like you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects mm -hmm. of it. So that's my spirituality. My spirituality is not based on superstition. It's based on trying to create a, uh, my own personal unified theory of everything through the observations I've made through my life. I mean, I've, had, I've seen so many miracles for me to pretend like spirituality or God or the unified field isn't real. Would just be such a joke and such a waste of all the things that I've experienced. Miracles. Miracles. Absolutely. Care to share? I'm not sure where to start. See, this is the Pandora's box. Okay. Um, how many near-death experiences I've had um, from falling out of a moving car, uh, nearly drowning several times in huge waves in Hawaii, car accidents, um, climbing on construction buildings, almost got killed by a serial killer one time, I believe, at a truck stop in California. Can we go do a deep dive into one of those. Uh, can, would it be okay to deep dive into the serial killer? Or is that too much to bring up at the moment? I, I mean, it, it is a story and it, it is a good story um, and it's part of a long road trip. Yeah. It was the very end of a long road trip. But I don't know if it's really where I want to go right this second. Okay. I'm really grateful to have survived it. I don't have like a lot of trauma around it per se. Mm. I, it is kind of a long and drawn out story. There's a lot of details that all add up to this kind of crazy thing occurring. Mm. Um, but no, I don't feel particularly called to explore that, mm -hmm. that right now. I will tell you another story though, sure. um, as far as like catalyzing events okay. are concerned. And maybe I will tie in the circular thing in a little bit with that. Is that um, when I was 16, like summer of 
freshman into sophomore year of high school, I was living in Seattle, and I had a skylight, and I was looking up, and it was maybe 11 p.m., I don't know, after my bedtime, I was laying awake, and I saw three lights in a triangle pattern, mm -hmm. rotating and kind of hovering, like, above my house, mm -hmm. and I got out of bed, and, you know, I've never touched anything psychoactive in my life at this point, it was like, you didn't even have a fascination with aliens per se, or extraterrestrials or UFOs. But was just like, this is happening right now. And they were like rotating and revolving, and then they kind of paused. And I was looking for a camera. I was calling out my mom. I was like, mom, mom, trying to wake her up. Because I wanted everyone to witness this. And then I got this like, kind of this idea in my head that I probably should just watch it. Because it might be about to disappear. And I, I looked at it, and right then, all three of the lights shot off at like light speed, like bullets in different directions. So I believe it was actually three craft in formation. Wow. In a, in a triangle. So, um, you know, that was like an experience I had that told me, wow, everything maybe that you thought about life or different like belief systems or boundaries around your reality have now been stretched right before your eyes. Would you say that's one of the seeds for this, you, uh, very individual theory of the universe. You know, you refer to your spirituality as like this theory of the universe that you've, you know, you through your own experiences that's kind of been unraveling. So how does that work for you? Does that uh, fold in different spiritual practices? Is that, is it like almost a scripture that's writing itself as it's happening? How would you describe it? At that time, I was going to Christian schools, and I was uh, involved with church, and I guess I was like, I was really trying on Christianity, mostly just to gain approval from my environment, because I was in that environment. Um, but it, it made me think, like, oh, like, I wonder if Jesus's um, love and forgiveness and stuff applies also to these, you know, because so many things have to be reevaluated once you have an experience like that. Technology, energy, beings, you know, so, yeah, it was like kind of maybe like the first and uh, long succession that's led me here of reality challenging experiences. Mm -hmm. Is that what led you to, you went to Maharishi University, yeah. is that right? And, you know, just for the record, that's super cool that you did that. It's very, un, uh, you know, in, in among the people I know, like, you know, most people kind of go through some type of traditional university system, some kind of college, if they go to school at all. Uh, but going to Maharishi University where their focus is on transcendental and me metaphysical approaches, uh, what informed that? Was that something that came from your folks? And it makes me curious about your parents now. Uh, is that something that was an individual decision? How did that happen? Oh yeah, that was not endorsed or supported by my family. Although they probably were happy that I was going to school, but you know, the idea of meditation or yoga was really threatening to the Christian background that I came from. Hmm. What, what inspired me to go to the Maharishi school? Yeah. I was 20, I guess I was 23 or 24, and I had been in Nashville for like three years. I had moved to Nashville for music um, because I'd been deported from the UK, um, this weird thing at the airport, and then I was like, I gotta go for it, you know? I had like this part of me that's like, you gotta go for it, man. <laughs> you know, make your dreams come true. Like, yeah. don't watch life go past you. Like, get in there. Mm -hmm. 
So I was in Nashville for that reason, mm. and I was bartending to pay the bills, and was like, kind of just bartending a lot and like goofing around and not focused. And I, I started to sense a, a stagnant, a stagnant moment occurring. And then um, at the gay bar I was working at, this guy came in, Christian. He was a food runner, and one day we were on a boat trip, and I was like, "It's like you're peculiar. What's your deal?" You know, I, I like you. Like, what what it is about what it is about you that I like? And now I know I was beginning my exploration of spirituality and just starting to get the first little inklings of this kind of new new way of thinking. And he's like, "Well, I'm from this town in Iowa, and there's a Maharishi school, and our community is kind of built around that." And I became very fascinated because I was a huge Beatles fan. <laughs> right. And Maharishi was the yogi that mentored the Beatles. Yeah, so. he was that guru. I've, I've seen his mural in Rishikesh, where he resided, and it's a mural of Maharishi uh, yogi with uh, with the Beatles. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Cool guy, man. Very interesting guy. Uh-huh. And, and this school really, um, you know, they say Jay Guru Dev um, to honor Maharishi's teacher, Guru Dev, but really it is a Maharishi school and um, a lot of the staff there really love Maharishi. There's a very deep respect and reverence and even though he's no longer on this plane, they consider him to be very much a part of the experience and um, I guess that was the first time I stepped into a space like that. It was like goo. It was like a whole different set of rules in this town. Wait, can we back up for a second? So this, you're in this place of stagnation, right? And this guy tells you about, hey, you know, I'm in Iowa, and, like, there's this university, okay. and, like, there's these, there's a community that's around it. What, what, you know, what happened from, like, stagnation bartender to make that leap to next thing you know, you're in that university, you're enrolled as a student? Yeah, I, um, I went to a visitor's weekend. Okay. And I was impressed. And, you know, I, and, like, I'm an idealistic person. It felt like in a very ideal environment. Mm-hmm. Looking back now... Um, you know, I think there was a lot of projections and a lot of high hopes that weren't met for me in that experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of us felt that way. So I went to the visitors weekend and then I was like, yes, I'm doing this. And then another three months went by, I saved a bunch of money, mm-hmm. started in the fall, moved my life from Nashville to Iowa where I knew no one because this guy didn't even live there. This guy that I knew he lived in Nashville. So I, I went to a town where I knew zero people. And it's, uh, it's a town of 10,000 5,000 floaters, as we call them, levitators, floaters, <laughs> and 5,000 townies, huh. which are just like good old Iowa townies, you okay. know what I mean? Okay. They were not on board with the Maharishi thing. But I'm wondering if it's kind of like uh, the whole thing that went down with Osho in uh, the Northwest in Oregon, where, uh, what was it? There was a documentary series on Netflix, Wild Wild Country. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> was it like that where the townies were like furious about this group and there was this tension between the two communities? It didn't have that sense of extremism. Okay. And also there was a university, so there was a, a reason. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, what are all these people doing like starting a community here? It was like, it's a university that has lots of staff. Hmm. And they also had this program where they had these two giant golden domes, which look like Breasts, okay. situated on the property, and, there, and there's a, a male dome and a female dome, and then every day, twice a day, thousands of people meditate in these domes. Hmm. And the school actually employs people; their full-time job is to meditate. Really? Every day, thousands of people like this. 
who are on staff to meditate. On campus, on staff. I mean, it, it's a humble existence from what I've seen. They might live in a very small cottage or a house or a shared situation. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're quite thin. A lot of them are um, a little older and they'll wake up whatever time and they'll walk to the cafeteria and they'll get their meals from the cafeteria and then they'll walk to the dome and they'll meditate all day. Okay. Go get lunch, go meditate some more. Walk. They don't really leave the campus. They're, it's like this special kind of psychic brigade, so to speak. Huh. And does the structure of it have anything to do with frequency? And is that like, what's the idea behind them doing that every day? Is it for themselves? Is it for all of us? Is it for yes. that community? Well, well, okay. So there's this, there's this effect called the super radiance effect. And Maharishi kind of like bridged the gap between science and spirituality. He calls it the Maharishi effect. It became known as the Maharishi effect as well because he believes in the power of transcendental meditation, henceforth um, called TM, mm-hmm. where people um, resting, uh, meditating together can create kind of like a coherence that can be kind of like sent and broadcasted and um, it can travel through the unified field and it can reach people and affect the environment. And they actually have a formula for, for this. They believe it's the square root of 1% huh. can actually raise the consciousness of Earth, which is only like 200,000 people or something like that. Wait, so uh, the square root of 1% is, uh, would be 200,000 people of the human population, and that population, by way of meditating, would be able to raise the frequency of the earth? Yes. Okay. And would they have to do it within these structures? Like, what's the idea behind these uh, structures that they, like the brush-like structures that you mentioned? You know, they didn't go into a lot of detail around that. I'm okay. sure it was thought out. Okay. Um, India is, like, somewhat fascinated with geometry, um, also, like, the way things are situated um, mm-hmm. on land, and which way is the door space, and there's a whole uh, Veda around yeah. the Pacha Veda. Right, that's right. It's uh, Vastu, and... Within that, it's it's the equivalent, the Vedic equivalent of feng shui. Yeah. So how exactly. things are positioned. What room in your house is good for this and for that, and mm-hmm. how to prevent blocked energies, and right. where to put the door facing east, facing the rising sun. You walk into the rising sun, kind of thing, all that stuff. Right. And so this is what you were steeped in. I was steeped in it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely it rubbed off on me. There's a lot of truth into it. I think they get a little bit dogmatic for my flavor sometimes. They also have very strict feelings around diet and food and lifestyle. Which was what? Well, there's a Veda for each one. You know, there's right. Ayurveda. It's like the health thing. Sure. Um, for example, like at the cafeteria, there was like, you know, they're all vegetarians. Um, but they love dairy. But there was like, there was really never anything spicy. Hmm. Like no garlic, no peppers. Very rarely would you find that stuff because they thought it was good to kind of keep things, um, you don't want to get too hot. So they would avoid like, nightshades like not a lot of potatoes or tomatoes and just like um no, no mushrooms and just a lot of things that were kind of like designed to kind of keep you in a certain bandwidth but the thing was is like people that ate that diet religiously i thought were lacking a little bit of like the, the meditators and stuff mm-hmm. they were a little bit like where is the like, dome you know okay I, i'm in here like let's throw a party let's <laughs> rock out <laughs> Right. Yeah, so how did you reconcile this cosmic Theo that was like ambitious, that's the go-getter, that's all of those things, and the space of almost asceticism? Yeah, well, I never participated in the asceticism, um, but I I was exposed to it and I was around it. And I definitely, I rubbed them 
and sometimes I rubbed them the long way. We, we started a group um, called Ucension. There was a, a group of amazing people that were, so, okay, just to back up a little bit, when I got to the school, it, the first day we all, were all in there and it's like our class, it's like, you know, the 30 or 40 new students and it's, it's you know, boys and girls between the ages of probably 20 and 30 with a couple of olders and it felt like Hogwarts. <laughs> You know, I felt like X-Men Academy. Like, we were all there to, like, learn the secrets of the universe, and we were going to be, like, last airbender and, like, moving things with our minds. It felt like that. Right. And and they were really able and willing to, like, feed us that, too. That, that was kind of their philosophy was anything's possible with consciousness. Hmm. Um, so there was, like, that whole thing where we were all building together, and then a bunch of us had kind of all kind of like Mercury, we had all p pulled our energy together and started this group called Ucension and we were like moving and shaking, doing events and uh, art stuff and like pop-up stuff and video content and like we were taking over the world, kind of blowing this whole place up. I had the mayor over at my house. We, we were trying to raise a million dollars to buy this home and then a bus and then travel. And I can share with you the video sometime that we, that we created. I'd love to see that. Um, but eventually it got a little bit too hot and like the school was like kind of like sending people to the parties because it, it was getting so much momentum that we started getting a little bit of pushback and we a bunch of us got like blacklisted huh. somehow from the school based on our behaviors or what was being reported to them through people they were sending. Not to say that they were spies, but they were employees from the school that weren't invited that showed up unannounced and reported back to the school. Hmm. So... That is what it is. So Ucension was something that was happening outside of the school system, the school curriculum. Did that, was that also happening outside of the community? Yes, the, the community, well, the community, I guess, has kind of like more than one layer. There's people that are very devout to the school that are a part of the organization, which is not just the Monterey School, there's also the TM organization, which is David Lynch, um, Russell Brand was a part of it. Russell Brand had come. Jim Carrey gave the commencement speech. Katy Perry had come. So there was like this other, other side to it um, where it was more kind of like modern and metropolitan. And some of those people were like on board with what we were doing. But then there was the more traditional side and it felt like us and them weren't, weren't jiving. That's what it felt like at the time. Um, and so who was, uh, when you say us and them, who was the us? Was it other students as well? Other students. Okay. And... When you say you were blacklisted, was that it? Was that your end? Was that the end for you and Maharishi uh, University? Yeah, around that time things started to fall apart. Like I wasn't going to class because like we were like taking over the world and everything was going so good. It was like I don't have time for class. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't have time for class right now. Right, right. right. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I, looking back on it, I mean, if you talk to any of the people, and I am close with several of them, and we are in touch. Um, They'll tell you the same thing. They'll tell you that we were having just incredible, magical experiences that were just... It was a very special time in all of our lives. Hmm. Hmm. Hard, to, hard to explain or put okay. into words, but... Okay. Yeah. What, so, if you could walk us through one of those experiences, what was it? Uh, how was it different from, like, a house party that somebody might have? Okay, yeah. Great question. <laughs> so, the first real party I threw there, and I, I love fun parties. I love it. It was at my, I had this amazing downtown kind of lofted apartment, 1400 square feet with a jam space and I had like art space set up and like all this cool stuff. 
and I had taken this canvas and I had spray painted with a stencil just a picture of the earth. Because mm. I, I make shirts and all kinds of stuff with just this earth. And my thought on that was in, in your sight, in your mind. Mm. The other side being out of sight, out of mind. Mm. So the idea of the earth from space, you know, kind of creates a unified feeling about what we're doing here. So I just painted that and I left all my paints out. And I was like, if you guys want to add on to this at the party. And the music was great. We were all jamming and jiving. People were on the mic. The vibes were really high. It was just like a really incredible night. We had black lights on. We were painting each other with black light stuff. And then the art was getting all crazy. And we were up all night. Just like, by the end of it, we were all in a cuddle puddle. Just like, I love you. Like, no, I love you. Like, this is the best, you know? <laughs> and then I got up to like pierce something. And I walked past that piece of art. And I was just like, I was like, whoa. I was like, you guys see this? <laughs> They're like, yeah, it's really cool, right? I'm like. Dude, it was like black light, and like if you turn the black light on, like things would start shifting and happening, and there was all these double meanings, and it was like this crazy piece of, it looked like a like an artifact. You know, I like this quality to it that was. There were so many energies all going into it. Right. Anyways, we all got really excited about how beautiful the art was, and then I said, I said, now the sun's coming up, and I'm like, you guys, we could sell this for a million dollars. And I believed it. I really believed it. And they believed it. We all believed it. Hmm. So what's the next step? What's the next, well, we got to get this in front of the right people. Right. You know? So a bunch of us walked from my apartment to the Sondheim Theater, the, the very nice modern civic center there where they do events. And we marched right in there. And we was like, where's the manager? And I'm like, we're going to throw a, uh, an art auction slash party slash musical thing here. Um, and we need a date. And uh, he was he was excited. He loved it, you know. <laughs> and we secured a date. Wow. And within a couple right of hours, spot. someone had given us like the deposit, which was like a thousand bucks or something like that. Someone just gave it to us. It was happening fast. It was, ha like, it was like the idea was born. And the next thing you know, we had a date. Right. So then we we're making all these other art pieces. We had been making a bunch of them and we were really gathering forces and advertising the event and making websites and just all of it was just like, we were in the paper. I had the mayor over, like I said, people from the school were coming. And then around this time, it started to go a little haywire too. As the energy built, I don't feel like we were necessarily mature enough to really hold what it was becoming. Huh, what do you mean by that? Just like, I don't explain. Like, let's say, like, tomorrow you get a call and um, they decide that you're going to be president of the United States. Uh -huh. And then you go to the White House and you're sitting behind the desk and then everyone's calling you and you're just like, holy shit, like, I don't even know what to do. Hmm. I don't have enough experience to, like, actually know how to respond to this. I see. So that's what it felt like. But when it got fast, when we, it was happening fast, we weren't really able to keep the car on the road. I see. And it started kind of, we were swerving a little bit and then finally it was like, <laughs> like, we started fighting and... People were like, you know, and I, I made a lot of horrible mistakes too. Like, you know, just personal stuff around ways that I was handling myself with other people. And, okay. um, you know, and when you're in the innocence and then the purity and in the beginning of something, it feels so easy to keep it on track. And then as it starts to develop, all of your own demons and issues and stuff start to manifest in the experience. And then you have to hmm. handle that. Right, right, right. Uh, I'm really loving this, like, almost biographical portrait that we're painting here. Uh, so it kind of makes me wonder now that 
you've gone through this experience at Maharishi, you were blacklisted, but you're now also coming out with this paintbrush, an open canvas to kind of design your theory of the world, right? Mm. So how does that happen? So now you, you leave Maharishi, does that mean you also leave Iowa? Yes. So I was there for approximately 15 months. And then, wait, no, wait. I was there for like nine months. Wow, crazy. All that happened in that short amount of time. That's a lot. <laughs> and then uh, my friend who was in the group, who were still very close friends, Torkum G, AKA Danny, he, um, he was like talking about Burning Man. I had some other Burning Man friends um, who were in the town. And I ended up getting a ticket to Burning Man. The yeah. one, the big one in Nevada? The big one. Okay. Yep. That was 2011. So I packed all my things up, went to Burning Man, and then I had kind of planned to go from there to Hawaii. Why? I had a, a, a girlfriend on Hawaii mm. who was kind of my girlfriend back in Nashville. And we were just kind of reconvening. So, yeah, that's what I did. I went to Hawaii, and then I ended up coming back from there to live in Knoxville to take a job with the guy that I met at Burning Man and eventually going back to Iowa to get my things and leave. But yeah, it was just a, just a quick little, little lap, man. It was. Mm -hmm. And what was the evolution of this uh, spirituality of this cosmic Theo? When did you become cosmic Theo? When did that happen? Yeah. I think it was actually at the very end of my time in Iowa. I, um, I, because before my artist uh, uh, moniker was Theo versus the world. Right. I love that video, by the way. Uh, what I love about that video is it just, it's well done, but yeah. it kind of re reminds me of some of those like 80s videos uh -huh. where it's almost movie-like. It's a vignette of like this kid. It's this young Theo. <laughs> it's like this kid against the world and his, he's chasing some girl. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. As we do, as we do sometimes. Uh, is it, is it, was it all true? Could you tell us about the video? <laughs> the slipping away video. Hmm. Yeah. I recorded that in like 2007 or something. I'd gotten my first laptop and I was like finally able to do home recordings. I recorded that song within a few months of learning how to record. So it came out really fast. And I had some friends in that town, Chris and Jason Valina brothers who had like, they're in the video and they said, Hey, maybe we'll collaborate. So in that video, that was totally their interpretation of the song, and that was their idea. I just did my scene separate, and then they did the boy-girl chase scene later. That the the male lead in that video is actually not me. That's my friend Tony. Oh wow! Yeah, he looks like, like me a little bit. Right, a little bit. Right. Yeah. Like this is a very young Theo. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's my friend Tony, and he was with his girlfriend um, Kelly. Okay. And they're still together. She's pregnant right now. I just saw them not too long ago in Florida, where close to where that video was made. Hmm. And they're doing great, and we're still good friends. Hmm. Hmm. In the Ayurvedic tradition, there's the belief that when you're engaging with movement as much as you have, uh, there can either be a tendency of having an air excess, uh, the element of air, or there's a yeah, there's a sense of being unsettled. How does that, you know, how's that played out for you? Like, what, what do you, you know, there's this uh, U2 song, which I uh, love, where he says, uh, you know, uh, I have climbed highest mountains, I have 
dived uh, the deepest seas, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is such a, an amazing question and an amazing topic. And it's funny how other artists have all touched on this, like the mm. tra- what, what, what is travel? What does that do to your soul? Mm. What is, what motivates some people to live like that? Yeah. Um, I... Grew up in a house, single mother, only child. We lived in like 15 different states throughout my childhood. 15 different states? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all over the southeast. I was born in Georgia. So I've lived in Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Yeah. Most of my family's from the southeast. I lived in uh, Tacoma, Washington, near Seattle. I lived in Missouri for a stretch. I lived in, obviously, Iowa. I lived in Hawaii, both... Um, Maui and Oahu with long stretches on Kauai. Mm. Also been to the Big Island and Molokai and Lanai. All, almost all the <laughs> islands you can go to except for except for um, Niihau, mm. which is the Hawaiian's only island. Oh. Pretty secretive, amazing. Supposedly it's the crown chakra of the Hawaiian island chain. Wow. So anyways, um, where else have I lived? What other states have I lived in? I guess I've kind of lived in California a couple of different times. Um... New York. Um, oh, I spent three years in New Zealand. Really? Yeah. <laughs> school in New Zealand between the age of six and nine. Huh. Oh, and I also lived in, in Wyoming. In New Mexico. <laughs> Wait, uh, I think that's uh, all the states. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we moved around a lot. And I guess, like, I definitely had that unsettled feeling of, like, lacking groundation. Um, I did spend three years in Alabama when I was young, where I was kind of getting friends, and then kind of got ripped away from that, it felt like, at some point. And um, I would say that my journey has been a journey of grounding. Okay. Some people, their journey is from the bottom up, where they they start off more grounded, and they, they work on their upper chakras, and they like open their mind to the possibilities, where I myself have been full of possibilities and ideas, and my job has been to manifest that into reality. To bring the vision through. I don't struggle with ideas. I got plenty of ideas. <laughs> I'm inspired in a million zillion ways. It's mm-hmm. like, what? how can I bring that through? Right. So how does this 30-something Cosmic Theo uh, differ from the 20-something Cosmic Theo in regards to that? Much happier. Much more grounded. Much more consistent. People, you know, you can only do so much by yourself. You can, you can only do so much by yourself. Working with other people, working with the team, building a tribe, building a family, that is really the key to success. So the more consistency through practice, through knowing who you are and what your values and boundaries are, the more you become a good friend and a better ally, the more you have now the accesses and to resources of the tribe and of your, what you're, you've created. Hmm. So the last few years, I've been really building community, and now it's not just me. Because you can see Theo versus the world, that's how I felt back then. Right. It was like me and only me versus right. trying to hold the whole world up. Right. I really love what, uh, what you're doing. You know, I think uh, what you're saying is something I've had the experience of uh, witnessing. Uh, I've been to your gatherings and so on, which we could get to a little bit more. Why is community important, and how do you... Uh, how do you build community in a world that's so uber-focused on individualism? I mean, part of the reason why I started this show was uh, that I really felt that we, when we think about health, 
we think about it from this very individual place. And so I often say, you know, I'm a, I do yoga, you know, several hours a day. I, I'm a vegan, uh, all these things. But without community, my soul is struggling. I'm like, wait, where is everyone, right? So how do you go against the tide of what the larger culture is, which is, hey, do you have fun, you know, uh, get it done, be successful, all those mantras and messages that are sent out by the corporations. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, it's, I think it's important to note that individualism and collectivism or community aren't really at odds. Mm. Sometimes it feels that way. Yeah. It seems that way. Sometimes we're kind of told that it's, we need to sacrifice for the group. But right. um, if you've ever been a part of a team or a family or a community, you know that taking care of yourself is the best thing you can do for the group. I love that, right. So I think that, you know, we, then this is a time where people are really being asked to kind of join collective efforts in different ways. But we need to be able to decide for ourselves because there's so many different ways that, um, you know, self-care manifests. There's no one size fits all. You know, I was, I was, I got bad marks in school because I was like, I was like kind of disobedient or I had conduct issues, I guess you could say growing up. Mm -hmm. And then I learned like at the end of high school that most kids actually don't benefit from that kind of environment that they've made, they're trying to homogenize people like in the, the video for the wall by mm. Pink Floyd uh -huh. and they got the kids going on the conveyor belt and the, right. and the meat grinder and it's just like, right. and I was like, oh, wow, it's actually kind of what's happening. You know, and, you know, when it comes to health or media or entertainment or lifestyle, we have, we need to resist the need to um, be homogenized because in nature, you'll find diversity is strength. Mm. And when it comes to collective kind of like um, evolutionary things, like, for example, race has been an amazing highlight of the last couple of years this whole topic around race and like financial inequality and do these different kind of things that when you really dive into these things um cultures and races and art forms that emanate from these different spaces and you gain a deep appreciation um for these different expressions you no longer have to deprecate in order to receive the diversity of the world it, 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 eventually it becomes your prerogative hmm. it become it becomes your prerogative to diversify your portfolio because you know I like to think with food like I love Italian food mm. I love Italian food pizza lasagna pasta bread salad you know all <laughs> the weird seafood things bring it on you know also I love Mexican food right. corn tortillas fish um, pico lime cilantro avocado they're all so good I don't need to pick a favorite Sounds like you love all the foods that weren't at Maharishi. <laughs> I love their food too. Okay. Right. I love their, I, I, I like flavors, I like strong flavors. Uh -huh. But, but do you see, you see what I mean? That like, there doesn't need to be one superior or one inferior and you don't need to pick one and stick with it for the rest of your life. You can actually have Italian one night and Mexican the next. And then within the Mexican culture, it's not just the food. Right. There's a language. Mm. There's a, there's a culture. There's a, a, a different like, agreement system that governs the reality around like they're so loving and they, the way that they talk to each other is so beautiful and so romantic and the landscape and the medicine and the 
the music. It's like, it's not something that you have to just tolerate. It's something that you want because it's so beautiful. Wow. How beautifully put. Like what a, you know, what an amazing uh, perspective and paradigm shift on conversations like uh, deep-seated illnesses like racism, classism, uh, sexism, a lot of these uh, gender-isms, a lot of these isms uh, by way of not just tolerance, but embrace. Exactly. Yeah. Develop a taste for it. And then, and then now your motivation is more aligned with your sense of um, purpose and your sense of experience. You're not having to like deprecate, but there are some times when you got to make the, make the um, initial offering to cultivate. So it's not always amazing when you're going for a diversity approach, but I, I just, my point is that diversity is such a beautiful thing. Right. And it's, it's like, it's strength. So in, in, a, in a society that it seems to be pretty hell bent on homogenizing, we, we need to resist that. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I see how that plays out in relationship to the way we treat the earth is how we also, you can use our engagement with nature as a reflection, as a mirror of how we're engaging with each other. So for instance, uh, the way in which a big agriculture works is monocropping. Uh, so it might be great that there's more coconut water available, but you just decimated an entire ecosystem with all this plurality, a diversity of existence uh, to grow this one superfood because that's what the market wants right now. Uh, whereas if you were to embrace that, that would also mean embracing the language of the land it might come from, of the people of that land, and uh, now having meaningful relationship bridge building Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Not to say that it's uh, horrible or wrong to want a coconut water or, <laughs> no, or an right. avocado or something yeah, like right, that. Right, right. But yeah, but we're all contributing to the um, kind of the um, madness in a way, in some way or another, you know, through the devices that we're broadcasting and recording this through right now. Or some of these were likely between the harvest and the production um, where at some point there was people being stepped on or resources being stepped on in a way that's not in alignment with our values. Right. And yet we're here doing this. Right. So there's just that reality. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, like, you know, if you like coconut water and you live in New York, why don't you check out maple sap? Mm. It's really similar. And it's readily available with uh, zero carbon footprint. Hmm. And then, hey, who knows? You might have a good time. <laughs> I love that you're all about the good times. <laughs> You kind of bring it back to that. You're the loop wizard. Of course, you're going to loop it to a good time. So, uh, loop wizard. Nice. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I've had the experience of your looping. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I actually was watching this video of this loop you did live in a DC studio. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was the song Violet. Violet uh, Flame. Violet Flame. And what it gave me a perspective on was there's this cosmic theo that's also there's this cosmic theo that's love that's about nature that's about like hey uh let's get past our differences right let's embrace each other let's all be cuddle buddies <laughs> as you use the term then there's this cosmic theo that's a bit critical and like also a little bit uh disheartened by the way things are happening and going and so on i feel like violet flame 
kind of embodies that like there's this uh you know race is hatred is uh misogynistic nation uh you know and you go into these like really deep critiques there and you looped it like so you had to loop first you do the loop in the studio and then you kind of go into these lyrics yes wow yes you're absolutely right there is kind of like this angry critical warrior who's not happy with the way things are and who is reporting for duty to be part of the change. Is that okay? Of course. Okay. Yeah, I mean, all, all the steps are, um, you know, in Chinese medicine, they're like one, one emotion gives uh, way to the next. Hmm. And, you know, anger is a very necessary part of the process. Um, it's not a good destination, in my opinion. It's a good place to, like, tap into and, and then hopefully move into a more holistic approach and that's what the song is about it's about um you know the chorus is this child's about to wake up this child's about to wake up it's about like um kind of coming into your power and the power of your mind and the power of your perception mm. in order to transmute mm. to turn all of that pain into strength wow it's all, it's all fuel it's all fuel for the um violet flame to burn mm. i love that i think uh when i think about it from like again an ayurvedic uh, perspective, digest the digestive flame, uh, Jatar Agni, which is the main Agni responsible for digestion, is essential, uh, and it's essential to have a certain amount of fire and flame uh, within you uh, to go through metabolic processes. Those metabolic processes are essential to release waste and to feed the cells. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think that the the idea of metabolizing your experiences vary in your environment. Hmm. You know, like if you meet people that are great, uh, people that are really truly um, larger than life and aligned with their values and their mission that are and really have um, something huge to offer the world, a lot of times they have this story, this like medicine um, initiation or some kind of something that happened to them that could have been very traumatic and difficult or at the very least extraordinary. Right. You know, so learning to turn these experiences into um, fuel for your, for your mission, um, that's, what it, that's the path of the alchemist. That's you, the path I'm on. You know what's coming up for me is this concept that you keep coming back to, interestingly. I'm curious if you're aware of this pattern, right? So, you know, you spoke a lot about the chakra, about like, you know, your wind energy and like how you started from the top down, right? Uh, and chakras are essentially wheels. Right. And so you also talked about like people kind of having these experiences, like these great epic experiences and turning them around. Right. And what you focus on with your music, a lot of your music over the past few years has been about looping. So I'm wondering also if that metabolic process is a conscious thing that you've been doing, where it's just like, I'm going to take something, I'm going to transform it into something else. And through that process, we're going to have something new. Yes. And by way of that, I'm an alchemist. <laughs> Absolutely. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's, what, that's, that's where the songwriting has brought me. Is like, how can I create tools for people to, um, you know, because I myself have been a, a, a grateful recipient of alchemical works that have given me mantras and given me courses to sing along with that will show me, um, you know, in my difficult moments, I can fall back on this. I can fall back on this moment. And I can fall back on the power of 
the idea and the inspiration that, you know what I mean? We're getting into an etheric space. It's difficult to put into words. Sure. But th these are all, it's all, ultimately all, it's all tools for people to use in moments that are, um, that are challenging and difficult. How does that come up with looping? Like, what is, like, you know, how, how would you describe this whole, like, lo uh, how looping works and what's your specific draw to it? Um, man, first time I saw looping, um, I was really impressed with the idea of you take a little pedal, you play some guitar into it or some vocals into it, and then it'll just repeat mm -hmm. and it'll become a loop. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like into the idea. I knew that as a traveler and as a uh, musician who could sing and play guitar and do percussion stuff that it would be kind of cool. I was good at arranging things for me to get into looping. So it was kind of like a possibility. And then I moved to Maui one year and I ended up trading some stuff for a looper that had vocal effects. And this device really set me on this path. I bought speakers and I was like busking a lot and playing in front of art galleries and just kind of making do with the fact that I was traveling so much and but wanted to create a band. So I became my own band <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. That's how it started was just me wanting to make a band, but not having the time. I was moving so often I couldn't really keep anything together. So it was, you know, using technology to kind of like I mean, that's hard to explain. It's hard to explain what looping is. It's, I guess it's kind of like a scape. It's kind of like a, um, a structure. Hmm. It's all, and the other thing about looping that's really cool too is it's all live in front of you. So I might have a kid over here screaming. He goes, mommy. And it's like, mommy. You know, it's like, well, they're in there. And it's like, everyone's like, whoa. You know? yeah. It's a real thing. It's yeah. a real feedback and loop with the environment as well. Can we do a quick loop right now? I'm from the embassy. Peace, love, empathy. empathy. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's loop that. Oh, oh okay. What's the whole party? I'm from the embassy. Peace, love, empathy. I'm from the embassy. Peace, love, and empathy. Om from the embassy. Peace, love, and empathy. Om from the embassy. Peace, love, empathy. Om from the embassy. Peace, love, and empathy. Om from the embassy. Peace, love, and empathy. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We made a loop. Yeah. Okay. We made a loop. And why? Why looping? Like, what? What's the effect? What's the effect of looping? Well, I mean, if, imagine if you were um, making a, a belt for someone and you decided you wanted to do like um, lightning bolts or something. You did like a bunch of lightning bolts in a row and it creates a pattern. You know, it's kind of like the, 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 the way, like the aesthetically, the way that the eye perceives patterns. It's a mandala of sound. Whoa. Yeah. A mandala of sound. It's a mandala of sound. And where it, so a mandala brings you somewhere. It's almost like a labyrinth. Yes. Yes, there is definitely a quality to it where it's very journey-esque and dynamic mm -hmm. and like lotus opening, mm. toroidal field-esque. You know what I mean? And also it's important for me as a looper to take people on a journey. I don't want to be like, you know, building, 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 ride it, done. So okay. I, I'm like building, dropping out coming down, doing just the B part without the A part, getting this little funky thing, full blast again, <laughs> coming down. Now we're adding a synthesizer, ding, 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 you know, taking this, the arpeggiator and then, you know, okay. so creating different geometries with the journey itself um, through dynamics. 
You know, it's interesting seeing you, like, for those people who could see you, right? And for those who can't see you, uh, we put, uh, put up the audio file, is you're making these motions with your hand. That's replicating the story arc. So, like, as a creative writer, one of the things that I love doing with my fiction writing is kind of building conflict, having some resolution, but then that resolution leads to deeper conflict. And then you get embroiled in that conflict. It seems like there's some resolve, moment of respite, and then it just blows up again. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so you're kind of making this kind of like pyramid, but it's kind of jaggedy, and it keeps going high and higher and higher. And then does it finally drop? Like where it's just like, you can't, if you're in this water for another, if you're underwater for another minute, you're going to drown. So, you know, we've been underwater in Cosmic Theo's loops for the past 15 minutes. Do you take us out or do you just like let us sink? Oh yeah, definitely got to bring people back to the station, man. Like, I'm a big, a big believer in, um, in like being gentle with people that are on a journey with you. That, you know what I mean, take off from the ground, land gently. Sometimes there's kind of an abrupt thing, but that has an effect in and of itself. But yeah, I think it's important to create kind of a beginning, middle, and, and, and create resolution, not just within a song, but in within the experience of the 45 minutes or the hour or the 90 minutes that I have with you. So I, I put a lot of care into my, the order of songs. You know, like I want to do this song first, this song, I like to close with these couple of songs. I do like to kind of go out with a bang as well. Um, I think it's kind of cool to like leave people like hanging a little bit because it creates a sense of maybe like curiosity and maybe like a little bit of longing. Um, not not longing in a negative sense, but in like next time he's playing, I'm gonna go. Right. So wait, how would you do that with looping? So like, I, it's very clear to me how you do that with the story structure, and clearly you're you know you're also tapping into that with patterns and the arc. How do you start us off where like we're starting to get and you know we're starting to feel a little bit of uh, anticipation? You increase that an anticipation. You keep growing it. And then there's a little bit of bringing, uh, bringing us a little lower, bringing the anticipation up, bringing us back home. What's happening with looping or uh, what are you incorporating in terms of your ingredients that do that? Um, well, based on what you said a moment ago, I have a feeling you're probably familiar with, um, with the hero's journey. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I think some of those elements are present. Um, maybe in a more universal sense, through songwriting classes and stuff like that, we started to identify parts of songs and kind of formulas to create a song. So one of the very popular formulas, formulas is it's A, B, A, B, C, B, B. Okay. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus. Huh. Or we'll do like verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, double chorus. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the hero's journey formula written out in a song format, which like you said is a little bit like this, that, and then, oh, we're back down a little bit, and then it's like, oh, we're going up again, and then we're like, back down, and then it's like, oh, now we're going, no, we just went, like, underwater, or, or now we're in space, or now there's freaking raptors chasing us, or now it's completely different. Or, right, so, you know, that's what the bridge is, it's like an, an alternative type. Uh -huh. A lot of times, if you're if you're in a major key, the bridge will be in my, relative minor. Hmm. So it takes you into more of kind of the ominous space. Hmm. And then, and I, so I do that with a lot of my songs. I try not to be trapped in those different formulas, but um, there's a reason that they exist. So I try to honor that and utilize them as well as not be trapped. So on the one hand, there's this formula that you're tapping into, right? And I think that's true with any craft. 
you know, at some point with, for instance, uh, with yoga, with Ashtanga, for instance, there's ways in which you go from a forward fold into a Chaturanga Dandasana, a lower push-up. Uh, and then over time, you can maybe come out of that uh, by by way of still staying in it. So now I'm in forward fold, but instead of just bringing my legs back, I'm going into a handstand. And then from handstand, I'm floating down into a lowered push-up. Uh, how are you doing that with, and for me, a lot of that is just tapping into spirit. Uh, so like going beyond the ego. So there's this form and there's this craft, and these are the tools of the craft, but at some point, by way of going past the ego, by way of going past uh, the scripture, this is the scripture I'm following, but then by way of being so tuned in that now I could go beyond it. What are you doing when you're doing these 45-minute sessions to tune in? Yeah, that's a great question, Asif, because, like, you know, performing and stuff, it is, like, in a sense, so such an ego activity right. that, like, there's anxieties around that, and then, like, there's a practice, certain things I like to do day of or, like, hour of. And I, I'm developing more and more of that now so I can really show up for people in the way that I want to, which is to be out, out of the way as much as possible. Mm. But also, you know, I have a personality, and I, I'm silly and funny, and I like to let that be a part of the experience too. But yeah, I'm trying to like show up in a good, in a good way, in a good place to be very present with people mm -hmm. to be like receiving my environment, not just creating my environment. And like, how are people feeling? seems like maybe the crowd wants to kind of chill or maybe they're, they're wanting to get, get freaky for a second. Let's, let's spank <laughs> the guitar. Let's get noisy. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's a push pull give and take. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I've got kind of a practice to get out of the way, and also I've done it for a long time, and um, the songs are more committed to memory now, and it's a lot more like, I have a lot more kind of capacity to move with grace, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's like, it's like anything, the more you do it, the easier it gets, so mm -hmm. you have more, now more time and space for the idea of um, being in the flow. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I think all those words are huge, time and space being in the flow, uh, and there are ways that you're tapping in pre-show. On the one hand, connecting with uh, this personality and performance, but then on the other hand, also like connecting with spirits. So, like, what are some of your practices? I know you're, uh, I know for me, like there are certain books or certain uh, authors, certain poets. I love reading Rumi to stay uh, tuned in. Uh, I love reading the Bhagavad Gita, other texts. I know you're reading this book right now that you were mentioning. That's yeah. kind of, so is, uh, yeah, what is it? Is it tuning you in? Yes, it's exactly what it does. Okay. It tunes me in. Uh -huh. It puts me in the, in the zone about who I really am. What's the book? Well, this is the sequel. It's called City of Refuge by uh -huh. Starhawk. Uh -huh. And the original book is called The Fifth Sacred Thing. Okay. And it's, it's a novel, and I didn't know that I liked novels. I was really into autobiographies and, like, metaphysic books. But th this is a novel that... It's a window into a world that... How to describe this? The, the, the novel itself is a vehicle to carry the message. Hmm. And the message is beyond the story and the characters. The message is the triumph of the human spirit. It's... Um, the beauty of the natural world and how humans have taken it for granted and how some of us are now like returning um, to ourselves and each other. Hmm. It's, uh, 
it's just like it's this dystopian slash utopian future that takes place in the year like 2050 okay and um so the way it kind of starts is it's like imagine like the government and the politics and the ruling class just get even more and more kind of insane and the wealth disparity <laughs> grows and grows and grows right wait can they get more insane oh yeah <laughs> okay uh-huh. um you know yeah. a lot of us can still live comfortably and we still have access to That's food right. and water and i hope That's it stays right. that yeah, way for, for sure a long time, for maybe sure. forever yeah, and uh, I'm sure a lot of us come from lineages where they've experienced a lot of insanity. People have experienced, our ancestors have experienced a lot of insanity, so for sure it could get a lot worse, yeah. Apparently in Cuba it's really bad right now, mm-hmm. I'm being told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shout out to mm-hmm. Cuba. Mm-hmm. So it's this dystopian utopia, 2050. Yeah, and at this point, it's at the beginning of the book, it's, which is around 2020 or something like that, or 2030, which is weird. Um, because the books, you know, it's not. It was written a while back, but um, that there are um, in the city of San Francisco, there's all these rich people, and they've got the cars. No one else has cars, and and like the the food system is just getting more and more kind of like into um, commercial agriculture, and like people are more and more disconnected. It's like big box stores and whatever. And then some of these grandmothers, they just say, "Enough is enough." Grandmothers. They, grandmothers. It, it's it's a. a a uh, couple of amazing kind of like women, witchy women who kind of start catalyze the whole thing, mm-hmm. and they, one of them is Maya, um, and another one is called Lily. Um, but they go into um, the streets with pickaxes and they break up the concrete <laughs> and they plant a tree, oh, wow. and that, that's the act of the revolution. Right. That's the first act, mm-hmm. and then all the rich people are called the steward. It became a, a political party that was like really insane. Mm-hmm. They were using like religious dogma and stuff as part of their tool hmm. and um and they were called the stewards and then the stewards were like what's going on and they like they kind of like freaked out and fled they, there was a revolution that occurred there was like shootings and um tear gas and the whole thing and they don't talk a lot about the way that looked but they explained that there was like this revolution that occurred right and so and san francisco became this utopian society now because all of that kind of insane energy had left and people were now they had learned to use crystals as a computer system. Wow. They had rivers of water running through the street. Um, all the food was growing beautifully. So, and for them, there was the five, the five sacred things. There was like the four elements, earth, um, air, water, and fire. And then the fifth sacred thing was love. Mm. And that these things cannot be owned, bought, or sold. Everyone has a, a, um, a, a right to access mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. So their society, instead of being a circle around money and around control and dominance, it was like this mutuality. Love that. It was a new geometry to relate. Mm. So San Francisco became the hippie utopian. Mm-hmm. And then L.A., all the stewards went to L.A. <laughs> they turned into a fucking hellhole. And they're like, you know, they've got human trafficking farms and they've got their crazy army and they're feeding everyone like chemical-laced food and it's just this shithole. And the two, the two cities are kind of in this battle. So that's that's what the book's about. Mm-hmm. And how is it shifting you? How is it like? What is it that you're tuning into in the book that's you know leading to being inspired, influenced, uh, shifted? Well, it's written in such a way to where it's kind of like I might be called third person <laughs> omniscient, uh-huh. where it bounces from character to character right. and talks about them in a way that's like an observer would, but then it kind of will go in their head and they'll tell you their thoughts too. So it's just told in this very interesting way and you get all these perspectives 
about people um, and what they're going through, what their prayers, what their thoughts, what their fears are, um, you know, like, it's like a different way of being. Um, hmm. I'm finding it difficult to describe this book. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, for example, like when you watch The Goonies, you see like all these kids, <laughs> they're all like friends and yeah. they're on an adventure. It's like, yes, there is a story and there's an adventure, but there's also this friendship and there's this band of people as a theme and as an experience. There's like, you know, like the Asian kid who's got all the uh, gadgets and stuff and there's like the big kid and he's like, but, and like they've all, and then there's like Sloth, like the gangly like kind of creature. Uh -huh. And like, you're kind of getting like these different characters that they, they themselves and the way that they all harmonize and mesh and come together is a story in and of itself. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that in what you, what you do. <laughs> you know, like, I had the privilege of attending the most recent gathering, uh, the July 3rd, July 4th gathering, uh, which was like the best birthday. <laughs> My birthday was July 3rd, so... Good birthday. Yeah, man. yeah, thank you. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the things that uh, you did was you created embrace, you created community, you created tribe, uh, and but these are also people that you've been building with. We've been building for a little bit, but like you know, reinforcing relationships. And one thing I have noticed that's a little different in terms of what you're doing musically, even though you're doing looping and so on. I mean, you're a multi instrumentalist. You play a lot of different instruments. Is that you seem to like be more situated in. Uh, a group experience with the other musicians. So it's not just you as the performer. You're almost holding space for creating this kind of extraterrestrial experience with others. Yeah. Co-creation, yes, absolutely. It goes back to my thing earlier about um, how important it is to be part of the, the group and the tribe because you can only do so much by yourself. But when you invite others to co-create, now the, the um, the diversity, once again, there's the diversity factor. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, all the gifts all coming into the same space and it becomes a thing of its own. Mm. You know, it's like, almost like Power Rangers when they each have <laughs> their own dinosaur. Right. And then they go, okay, it's time for fucking Megazord. And then they all come together to make a giant robot. Right, right. It's like that. Okay, right, right. Uh, you ever seen Voltron or you ever heard of Voltron? Very similar. It's these lion, um, machine-like lions that kind of come together and they form this big robot. Exactly. Yeah. Or Captain Planet. You've got, you know, the elements in heart and, uh -huh. and then Captain Planet appears. Uh -huh. So I, I'm, I'm into that. I'm, I'm into, like, everyone kind of coming together and letting the forces create something new. Right. And you did that. And you're doing that with these gatherings. And the, the, what was, you know, what was beautiful about this gathering... Oh, you know, among like many other things was that there was almost like a program. So it kind of reminded me of how when I would go to, an, you know, when I'd spend some time in ashrams uh, where, you know, you wake up at a certain time and then there's like at 6 a.m. there's meditation, at 6.30 there's kirtan, at 7 a.m. there's chai, at 8 a.m. there's yoga and so on. So you kind of had this program that where people could attend a workshop, they could like uh, do a sweat. All these things. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on. I think I think programming is great. I think it's good to have structure. I was also given the very clear instruction early on not to uh, control it mm. or and to give it room to breathe. It needed lots of room to breathe. Because mm -hmm. we were working with the weather, you know, it was wet all that day. Right. And it was like the forecast that week was like, thunder. it was just like thunderstorms all week long, you mm -hmm. know. 
Mm. But I got this weird idea that, like, um, it was probably going to clear up, like, right when we started. Mm. And sure enough, like, right when we did the opening ceremony, the clouds parted and the rays came down. And it was, like, beautiful the entire rest of the event, mm -hmm. which is really cool. It's cool, and it's also interesting that we've been getting as much rain as we've been getting uh, this July. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of uh, what we explore with uh, the cosmic medicine journey is uh, seasons. And like the seasons of the zodiac as they appear uh, through our elliptical orbit uh, and of course our galactical orbit. So we're in the season of Cancer coming into uh, Leo. Uh, and during this season, what, you know, what comes up for you? How are you different? What's, you know, how's your music different? Uh, what, you know, what, how are your rituals different? What makes you different during this season? Wow. I'm a Leo rising. <laughs> Leo in the house. Yo. <laughs> Cancer in the house. All right. It's your time. Uh -huh. Birthday boy. <laughs> Uh, I feel like my leadership stuff really comes out, like my ability to um, bring people together and to like wear a lot of hats and mm. to be to be uh, a guide. Mm. And like, I think it. I think I'm pretty like good at knowing where to draw the line, like knowing where my help is welcome and where um, me taking the lead and stuff is helpful. And then when I'm overstepping and playing out my own weird ego stuff, mm. so. The more I'm able to differentiate between those two things, the more I can actually step into that space. So, and this last event was a good example of that. Um, so, with the sun kind of reaching, we've already had solstice, but just like at, at noon, um, it's halfway through the day at noon, typically. It doesn't actually get fully hot until like two or three. Right. Because there's a delay between it catches up because like the ground mm. thermal mass. Well, the, the seasons also do that. Mm -hmm. So even though solstice happened in mid-June, we're not actually reaching the crescendo of the heat right. until Leo season. So mm. it's, it's the sunfire maximus. It's like two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon for the whole year. Mm. It's like that time. You know what I mean? So, um, the fire burns hot, you know, desires, ideas, energy, um, kind of like, uh, ambitions. Mm -hmm. Um, so are you like bouncing off the wall during this time? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm like, wow, how can I do all the things? Because mm. I have to really be strategic with my energy. I'm also, I just turned 35, you know, like mm. I have a lot of energy, but mm. like I just was off the phone with my friend earlier today. Um, they're trying to get me to come out and go to Burning Man with him and, mm. I'm going to come back from a week in the desert and then I'll be here for a couple of days and then I'll be doing this Northeast mini tour okay. and doing it. And I'm just like, I've got paintball all up in there and like my garden and my chickens and my kid. And it's just <laughs> like, Oh God, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, but that's what this time is for because soon enough, um, the weather and the environment won't be as conducive to that kind of behavior. So you, you kind of got to get it while it's good, right. I guess. Right. You know? right. Yeah. I, I, I think that's so important to be able to align your specific constitution, like who you are and knowing who you are in terms of the elements that run strong through you and how to align that with the season. Uh, you know, of course, uh, we're just like with our environment being diverse, this organism we call a self is also very diverse. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there has a lot of diverse needs that are dynamic, sometimes rest and in inward 
And that's what the, sp the seasons call us to do, is to have different seasons of ourself. Ooh. Right. Different manifestations of self. And the loop I'm hearing, the loop I'm hearing is grounding. Like, here's that cosmic deal, like, moving again. Like, gotta go, go here, do, go to Nashville, and then over here, and then over here. Loop back to Ithaca. Uh, so, uh, what are some, uh, what are some things you're doing to ground? I know, uh, you know, you have a daughter. I would imagine that's grounding. <laughs> Very. Also a fellow Taurus. Huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Very grounding. Because it's like, you know, integrity and, you know, like, consistency. Once again, like, no one needs consistency. Uh, like, a kid needs consistency. A kid needs you to be, you know, they want to feel safe. They want to get to know you and see you as a safe person and worthy of your of their trust. So being a steward of other people's feelings and emotions and ideas and like they look up to you, kids look up to you, friends look up to you and it's like, I'm not gonna drop the ball, it's for them, I'm doing this for them kind of thing. It gets the ball started on the idea of like creating more of a selfless approach towards things. I know we've already talked about individualism versus collectivism but in the sense, in the selfless thing, it just means having the capacity to act in a more selfless way. Mm. It doesn't mean living a selfless life, it just means you're developing the tool and the power of selflessness. As you, uh, as we wrap up and uh, you continue through your music to explore uh, deeper parts of yourself, uh, what way, what, you know, what suggestions do you have for people, what thoughts uh, to grow deeper in our individual diverse self to connect with our cosmic selves. Cosmic Theo. <laughs> what can we do to connect with our cosmic yeah. selves? Wow. Um, there's a lot of medicine out there that can really, really help. Mm. A lot of medicine out there. Mm. And it comes in many forms. And sometimes the medicine could be a walk in nature. It could be a walk in nature plus some beautiful ganja. It could be making time every day to stretch and, and breathe and read. There's a lot of ways, but I say develop a practice, set yourself up for success, create an environment that's going to allow you and encourage you to succeed. Surround yourself with good people that see the best in you and want to bring that out, that challenge you and hold you accountable. Amazing. You're amazing. Look at that light beaming out of you. My skin is getting dark, getting tan. Ooh, <laughs> this feels good. Where's the loop? Where's the loop? <laughs> Don't it's right give me the here, loop. baby. <laughs>